Well, good morning, and we'll go ahead and get started here as we, um, we're starting some other Sunday school classes next week, and so we wanted to wrap up playing with fire this week. And my goal this week is, is a little bit more practical in nature of, of trying to show you some of the tools that we use for Bible study, how to use those. If we actually get the computers working, I'll try to show you some um, computer tools. Otherwise, we'll talk about it. You can pretend, but um, we'll, we'll see what we can do. Let's start with a word of prayer. Lord God, our Father, we praise you for who you are, for your holiness, as we, we studied this morning, as you are altogether separate. And Lord, we um, desire the work of, of your Holy Spirit in our lives to be sanctifying us and making us holy, Lord God. Right now, I pray that as we, we talk and finish up talking about how to study your word, that you would burn in our hearts a desire to study, Lord, and a desire to, to serve you um, and to take the, do the work of studying your word and remembering that this is your letter to us. In Jesus' name, amen. What page do you want me to go to? None yet. You're going to make me look ahead in my notes. Um, first one we'll look at is biblia.com. So, um, we're wrapping up a whole series on how to study God's Word. And we, we've, we've broken apart all different parts of the Bible, different genres of the Bible, and how to understand what questions to ask on different genres of the Bible. And so today I want to step back and take again a, a big picture like we did at the beginning and, and start with a question, why don't we study the Bible more? And I, I want you guys to answer that. Why don't we study the Bible more? It's hard. It's hard, okay? It takes a lot of time. Hard and time. Okay, those are two separate things, but time is an element, hard is an element. Hopefully we've addressed and helped some of the hard stuff, and we're, we're working on putting all the notes into a form where you can take them with you. But hard and time, good. What else? We don't give it a priority, and sometimes I wonder if we, the reason we don't do that is because we don't really see it as important. We don't, we don't see the results of it, or, or how it can, usually we evaluate things, how can it help me? And, and maybe that's the wrong way of evaluating it. Okay. Study time can be flexible, and when something's flexible, it often gets bumped. It, it doesn't happen with just about anything in life. You schedule a meeting, for, and you say, well, we'll meet sometime this week. Now, which, ones, which ones get bumped? The sometime this week or the one that's 1230 on, on Wednesday? The sometime this week gets bumped, and so um, exactly. Anyone else? Oh, the question was, why don't we study the Bible more? We, we've spent all this time talking about how to, but why don't we put it into practice more? We've covered a lot of the answers already. I'm trying to think of what, what else would I answer. <laughs> a specific plan. A specific plan. Okay, so uh, some sort of organization, a plan to help us stay with it, to help us see some progress. Today I want to look through five, five different points to try to get us going, to try to help us put a priority on, on Bible study. And, and part of this is going to be talking about tools that help with the it's hard or I don't know what to do um, side of it. We've given a lot of questions to ask uh, throughout the, the last three months. But today we want to look at, at some other tools that we can use that we've mentioned but haven't shown. 
Point number one, um, the first step, evaluate your study objectives. This has to do with a plan and, and seeing it as important or not. And one of the authors that we're using had these five questions, which I thought were really helpful, of evaluating whether or not I think reading the Bible is important. And where do you want to be spiritually six months from now, a year from now, five years from now? And then along with that, what role do you believe Bible study plays in your spiritual objectives? It's one thing to say, I'd like to walk with God and be a mature Christian. But then the next question is part of it, okay, then what role does the Bible play in it? And as we've talked about from week one, the Bible is everything to that process. So if we really want to walk with God and grow closer to God, then Bible study and taking the time to do that is essential. It must be there. And so this is part of reordering our thinking of why we study the Bible and the importance of it. Um, The next question helps with that. Are you convinced you need to study the Bible on a regular basis? What facets of your schedule or priorities in your life are you willing to rearrange in order to accomplish your objectives and study of the Word? So really, number one, it's about planning, seeing it as important, reordering our schedule to prove that it's important to us. And finally, I love the last question the author asked. At first, I'm like, okay, what's he meaning there? But it makes total sense. Are you willing to pay the price? Are we willing to sacrifice something else in our schedule to read God's Word, to do the work of reading God's Word? It's work. It's hard. But is it important enough? Do we see it as important enough to sacrifice to do that? Part of understanding and reordering our thoughts is never forget the Word of God is life-changing. Never forget the Word of God is life-changing. Sometimes we view God's Word sort of like the national anthem at, at a sports event. When do you sing the national anthem? Beginning of the event. And we sing it, and it's done. Woohoo! We've been patriotic, and we go on and watch the Dodgers win. But... Sorry. <laughs> And and it doesn't affect anything else in the entire game. And sometimes we view sort of Christian um, walk like that and get together, hey, I'm going to put in my time, do the national anthem, read God's Word, and then we're done with it, the rest of our day goes on. And so the question is, do we view God's Word as the national anthem or the guide to the whole game? Is it the the playbook for the whole game, the, the rule book for the whole game? And so we need to remember that God's Word is life changing and He intends it to be life changing. Throughout Scripture, He intends it to be more than an academic exercise, but to always transform us by the renewing of our mind. To transform us. So His Word is what enables us to grow and become more Christ-like. Several different ways that that happens, because that's a broad, becoming Christ-like in every area of life is broad. The first, God gives His Word so we can know Him. Jesus said, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about Me. Yet you refuse to come to Me that you may have life. In Luke 24, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, Jesus, as they're walking along and they're trying to understand what just happened, and in this this wonderful ironic twist, they're with Jesus, and Jesus is explaining how how Scripture points to Him. It says, in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the thing concern, things concerning himself. So God gives his word so that we can know him. 
But that's not just a head knowledge. He is seeking for us to know him in a way that transforms us and changes us. Number two, God uses his word to convict us. And we talked about this the very first week. It's appropriate to come back to it. God's word reveals what is inside. In fact, if we say that God wants to transform us, if we believe Romans 12.2 and, and 2 Corinthians 3.18 and some of those, those passages that talk about God transforming us, that requires convicting us. Because for me to change, I have to leave something behind. And so God convicts of what I'm to leave behind and moves me toward what I should be. It requires both. Now, I don't like this side. I'd rather not have this side. But it's essential in Scripture. And that's Hebrews 4, 12, and 13 you have there. And we're going to spend time throughout the morning with this particular passage, looking at how some tools use it. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit to our immaterial being, and joints and marrow to our material being, meaning it pervades every part of life and discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This verse is saying that God's word is intentional about convicting us, pointing out those things in our lives that need to be transformed. Next point there, God uses his word as the main tool to sanctify and transform us toward Christ-likeness. The convicting is the things we need to get rid of. The transforming is moving us toward Christ-likeness. John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Which means he's using his word for sanctification, for making us more like Christ. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. If you think of those four, teaching is God instilling in our mind his truths, changing our mind rebuking is admonishing us when we've walked off the path. This is the convicting. This is why we say that God intends to use His Word to convict us, to burn our hearts. Correcting, again, God's Word is to get us back on the path. It's designed to change something in us. Training, God's Word is to guide us on His way. With righteousness being His standard. James 1.22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. And so we see that the purpose of the word there is to do the word, not just hear it. Convict us to action. Some other great verses to read there. I don't know if I put them in your notes, but we'll keep moving. God uses his word to equip us to do his work. And so we have convict us, get rid of the junk in our lives, instruct us, transform us to Christ-likeness. And then verse 17, again in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And we see the role of Scripture is to get us moving to do God's work. Get us ready to do God's work. Our purpose is His purpose. We talked about that a couple weeks ago with our theme for the year. And finally, in an ongoing way, God uses His Word to guard us from sin. Psalm 119, 9-11, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your Word. 
With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart, memorized it, that I might not sin against you. I don't know that any of those five are new. And we've talked about those five throughout our time together with playing with fire. But it's, it's valuable to go back and remind ourselves of the importance of why we're doing it. Especially when we're talking about something that takes work and time and making it a priority. So let's remember why it's a priority. God is trying to change us with his word. Transform us into Christ's likeness. Three, this one must be in there for you, Phil, since you mentioned having a plan. Developing a plan. Okay, so, so the, the first thing was evaluate your study objectives. What do I really feel about the Bible? Number two was reminding what God says about the purpose of the Bible. Number three, okay, let's start to put this into practice. Let's start to develop a plan. Studying God's Word doesn't happen automatically on its own every day, even if you put your Bible under your pillow. It doesn't seep through. It takes opening it and working and being intentional. So some ideas there. Set a time and a place. Be consistent. One of you said something about if it's, if it's just a, well, I'll do it sometime this week. It's important to set a time and a place. And I encourage you to say, okay, every morning at this time or every night, depending on if you're a morning or a night person, every night at this time, I will study God's Word. And make it an appointment. If you have a daytimer, put it in. If you use Outlook, put it in and make it a scheduled appointment. Be intentional. Choose a good starting point. You know, Andrew was talking about Leviticus this morning. If you've never read the Bible, I would encourage maybe starting somewhere else. Leviticus is awesome of telling us about the holiness of God. But if you're just starting, I would encourage starting with something like one of the Gospels. And just, just getting to know Christ through the Gospels. Or starting in something like James or Philippians or Ephesians. Um, some of the epistles there. Another good starting point would be to join us on the Rooted Reading. Next week we'll have another uh, postcard in the, or another bookmark in the worship folder. The nice thing about that is some others are doing the same reading plan, and so there's a chance to collaborate and, and hear some input from other people. And that particular reading plan is designed to go through the Old Testament in two years, the New Testament about one and a half times in two years. And a lot of reading plans are one year, which are great, but so many times we're reading so much that we don't digest it. And our goal of a two-year plan is to go a little bit slower and meditate on God's Word. Digest it. Think about it. Let it affect us as God wants us to. I encourage you to journal, to write or type what God teaches you. Um, it used to be just write, but now, now, now you can type. That's a great way to go. Number four, don't go at it alone. It is so much better to study the Bible with people. And I don't mean that every time you study the Bible you have a group, but people that you're able to talk to about it, that are holding you accountable. Um, it's one of the reasons Myron does the blog of the Bible reading. It's, it's so that the students doing the Bible reading aren't alone in it. They, they have some input. And so there is something powerful of, of with your spouse saying, hey, let's read through this book together or with a friend. Um, I have one individual in the church that we're reading through James together, and we're doing it by email. And so every week we read through another section and we email what we see back and forth, and it's a way of accountability to make sure that we are in God's Word. Um, 
But you can be creative with that. I know everyone's busy, but there are some creative ways to do that. So far so good? Let's get into some fun stuff here. Not that the other isn't fun, but I really love tools and, and understanding tools. And so number five is start studying. And I want to use Hebrews 4, 12, and 13 as a way to show you some of the possible tools that will help you study. And so there's some points here of some tools that you can use and some ways that it'll be helpful. And I've tried to put in your, your packet excerpts from those tools so you can get an idea of why they're useful. And so we'll, as we talk through the tools, we'll end up studying Hebrews 4.12 together and showing how we do that. Make sense? Now, you may not run out and buy all of these. Our library has some of them. Um, some of them they don't, and they're, they're, we'll show you some actually online ways that you can do many of these as well. First thing, when you're studying a passage, I encourage you to read from several translations. You get a fuller picture of the verse. Now, how many of you, and I, I think a couple of you have, but how many of you have done a lot of study in Greek and Hebrew? So, so maybe one, and, and one of the common things I hear from other people is, Okay, I don't know Greek, so that means I can't read God's Word. False. One of the best ways to see some of the word meanings of Greek is to read three or four translations. It's an easy way to get an idea of, of the range of meaning of the words. And so, in the example there, you have Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. And I just picked four translations that um, I often use in my studies. The ESV, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So that's, that's ESV. So let me read a couple of others, and I want you to look for any differences that maybe help you understand it a little better. And this verse doesn't have a huge amount of them, but, but others do. Um, NIV 84, for the word of God is living and active, Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the hearts and thoughts and attitudes of the heart. New American Standard is very similar to ESV. I'm going to skip down to New Living. This isn't the Living. This is the New Living, which is a translation. Um, you have to be careful with it. It's very dynamic, it, getting the thoughts, but it's really helpful for, for understanding it and reading it in a different way. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So that's three different versions. We just did it real quickly. Is there anything you see by reading the other two versions that help you broaden your understanding of some of those words? Isn't that an interesting word? Exposes, because in the other one, it's discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Um, NIV 84 gives us a, another twist on it, judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Um, but exposing is part of what the Greek word there means. It's within the range of Greek, the, the, the meaning. So without knowing Greek, you get a, a, a nice idea of the, the, the breadth of the meaning of that Greek word. Now, there are wonderful, tool, wonderful tools that we'll talk about that help you see the original language without knowing the original language. But this is a great start. Any others? Um, all the other translations say the thoughts and intentions of your heart, and the New Living says your innermost thoughts and desires. Okay. Which is a little more to the point of just our heart. Right. 
helps us understand what they meant by heart. And so the New Living has tried to, the, the actual Greek word is heart, but the New Living has tried to explain what, how they understood culturally heart. And we'll get to that because I think heart is one of the words I used for the word study. And so we'll see where they, why they came up with that and where they came up with that. One more? Okay, we'll keep moving then because there's a whole bunch of these. So you can read a passage in several different translations and that will help you start to understand it better. Second thing is use a good study Bible. Uh, I, I strongly recommend study Bibles. They help you with some immediate notes. The ESV study Bible is what I have the notes here for. If you... Um, for instance, log into Logos or Biblia.com or Versa.com, all the same company. You can get Faith Life um, Study Bible for free right now um, with your account. And so there's all kinds of different possibilities. I had an NIV Study Bible before this. But the Study Bible there for the notes, there's two different ways that a Study Bible is helpful. One is for notes, the other is for cross-references. For notes, it says, the warning continues, faithless disobedience will not go unnoticed. Word of God. Usually this phrase in Hebrews refers to the message of salvation. But here the word is pictured as God's personal utterance, living, active, sharp, piercing, and discerning. With eyes that expose, the word of God then acts as God himself so that one's innermost thoughts and intentions are exposed. This happens constantly in the Christians' lives. Anything out of that note that you found helpful? It's pretty straightforward. Reinforces what you saw with the exposed in the, the New Living. And so a study Bible, keep in mind it's written, these notes are written by a man. The notes are not inspired word of God. And some study Bibles, I agree with a lot of stuff. Some, I disagree with some stuff. And it, it's written by man, but it's helpful to see some scholarship there. It's like a mini-commentary built into your Bible. But it's also helpful for cross-references. For instance, the ESV study Bible had these three verses and more. I just picked three of them as cross-references for part of verse 12. Um, would someone read First Peter one twenty-three? Okay, so it's another verse, and, and what's the commonality here? Why would they have this as a cross-reference? What does it help us see? God's Word is living and abiding. It adds the word abiding, but His Word is alive, and it's instrumental in salvation. You see that. Jeremiah twenty-three twenty-nine. This is a nice, you know, happy verse. No, this is a verse about the convicting power of God's Word. Would someone read that? What does that verse mean? It's about conviction and serious stuff. A hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. We can be pretty cold-hearted sometimes. Hearts of stone. God's word breaks through that like fire, which is some of why the author was using fire as a metaphor, as we see that in several places in Scripture. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces? Revelation 1.16 on the next page is another cross-reference of later in the verse, or of later in Hebrews 4.12. Would someone read that one? Okay, 
This is talking about Jesus coming. What do you see in that verse that corresponds with what we just read in Hebrews 4.12? Sword? Where's the sword coming from? His mouth. So what is it representing? His words. We see the same imagery in Revelation where the words of Christ are seen as a two-edged sword. And we know that Revelation, he's about to judge and to take care of sin once and for all. And so... I'm one that loves cross-references. From the time that I could read, I remember having a Thompson Chain Bible. I don't know if anyone remembers those. And I'd sit there the whole time during the message and during Bible study, and I'd go from verse to verse and follow the chain and follow the references. And it really helps you see a breadth of God's Word and all the different verses that can um, that apply. And so I encourage as you study the Bible, take the time to look up some of those references. Not just when you don't understand it, but enjoy the, the breadth of God's Word. Questions or thoughts? Comments? Anyone else like cross-references? Okay, so that's a couple of tools. See there. Do an, a word study on important words. It's very helpful at times to know how words are used in other passages. There's some tools we can use for that. An exhaustive concordance helps us find where important words are used in other verses. You can look up a word, like for instance in Strong's, you look up the word, find which category of Greek or Hebrew it is, Hebrew Old Testament, Greek New Testament, and you can look at all the other places where that same word is used. And it's helpful to go look up those verses. We understand words better that way. Um, Zondervan exhaustive concordance is one that I use um, at times. Truth be told, I don't use a lot of hard copy concordances anymore. The computer can do it for you. You just put in the word, and it just lists them all, and they're all right there. And so um, that's where I do most of my search word searches now. But there's a couple of tools there. Vine's Complete Expository Dictionary of Old and New Testament Word. The Complete Word Study Dictionary is very helpful. It uses the Strong's Numbers and um, some other lexicons, and really gives you a good understanding. In fact, that's where the example below is for active. I looked up the word active. Okay, what does active mean? I know what it means for my boys, but what does it mean for the Word of God? And so there's, a, there's two other places in the New Testament where the same word is used, the same Greek word is used. And the, the, the complete word study dictionary, I didn't know, have to know Greek to, do, to know that. I just had to look up the word out of um, Hebrews 4.12, and then it told me, look at 1 Corinthians 16.9 and look at Philemon 6. 1 Corinthians 16.9, For a wide door for effective work has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Philemon 6, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Does that give a, you, the highlighted words are the words that are the same word as the Hebrews passage. So does that give us a different flavor of what active means? What, what, what does it add to the flavor? Not just busy. Purposeful, successful, active. God's word is doing something. And so when we say God word, God's word is intended to change you, that's supported by the words that are used here. It's effective. Strong's goes on to explain that. It, it's um, 
from a, the, the Greek word inner, inner jail, or where we get energy from. Referring to energy engaged in work, capable of doing active, powerful, effective work. And so we see, for me, just that little word study helped Hebrews 4.12 come alive a little bit more. Okay, it, it's, it's alive and it's active. It's active in changing me. It's effective in accomplishing what God wants to do in my life. So word studies can be great. And again, we'll, we'll look at some, hopefully we'll get there, we'll look at some um, software that you can do this and some um, websites, but I encourage you to um, look at some word studies. I'm going to go through some of these a little quicker so we can get to some of the other sources. A Bible dictionary or encyclopedia can explain many of the words, topics, customs, and traditions in the Bible. There are lots of Bible dictionaries out there. Um, one that I really like right now is a whole series. There's a dictionary of Jesus and the Gospels, dictionary of um, later New Testament and writings, dictionary of Old Testament, dictionary of prophecy, and it's a whole series. Um, this particular one is from the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible. And like you would do with the old encyclopedias that you had growing up, you take a subject and you look it up. And so if we understand, okay, what does he mean by heart? And I included the entire entry, or, or a portion of the entry, rather, from Baker's Encyclopedia on what the heart meant. And, and I'm not going to read that now, but you can read that on your own. But it, it helps us understand what that heart was meaning desires and intentions. It's this, this is why the New Living translated heart the way they did. And so we can understand what it meant 2,000 years ago. Um, heart, and um, for us, heart is often the seat of emotions. 2,000 years ago, heart was the seat of intentions and desires, not in an emotional way, but intentions of the heart, what I'm going to do. They used bowels to refer to emotions. And so a dictionary will help you understand that. E, and I have it as E on purpose, because some, a lot of times we use commentaries as A, and I encourage you not to use commentaries as A, because our commentary is God's Word? No, they're man's opinions of God's Word. They're valuable, incredibly valuable. On a given Sunday morning, I'll probably read 12 to 15 commentaries about that passage and, and explore that, but that's never first. I want to go to God's Word first, and some of these other tools first, so that I'm not tainted by what other people have, have brought into it. Um, commentaries, there's new ones written all the time. How do you sell a new book? You say something new. Right? And so you have to understand these are men that um, are, are saying... Now, now, commentaries are valuable. They give insights from scholars, from men that have studied for years what we are trying to study in a day. And so they are incredibly valuable. I, I value them. Two different kinds of commentaries, and these are broad classifications. Um, one is a devotional commentary, which doesn't dig into the verse very much, but deals more with application. That's helpful for the application stage that we, we talked about every week. But another class of commentaries are expositional or expository commentaries that dig into the text, sometimes the original language, um, several will deal with the original language, but do it in English, which is nice. And, um, and so I encourage both of those types of commentaries. Um, when, when I took preaching, 
we had to, for every sermon, read at least three of each kind, um, just to make sure we had a broad um, wealth of, of understanding. Um, I put some suggested commentary series there. One of the sites that I recommend is a site called bestcommentaries.com. And I don't know whether we can bring up any sites, Don, if you want to yeah, bring... I didn't put that Okay, if, if you can bring up bestcommentaries.com. This is a site where a number of scholars have rated different commentaries and give you an idea of what's readable, what's not readable, what's good if you're going into the Greek, what's good if you're teaching a class on this. And, and as, as you can see... No. <clears throat> um, the way it's laid out is there's a category for New Testament book, Old Testament books. You pick your book, and then it gives you a list of commentaries. Very helpful. Um, some commentaries that I recommend. The Tyndale Commentary Series is one that I recommend to, um, to uh, general people studying God's Word. It deals with the original language. It deals with the text, but it deals with it in a way that anyone can read it and understand it. Some commentaries, you're like, oh, as, as I go through the word commentary series, I have to go page by page and chapter by chapter because it's very detailed. But Tyndale is nice because it's, it's accessible for, for everyone. Um, a couple of, and these are not, there, there's others beside these. Expositor's Bible Commentary, the revised version, the new one, I love. I've seen that. Um, I've used that a lot. This is best commentary. It's like, go up to New Testament books done. In the title bar at the top. And so this lists a whole number of commentaries. And over here, I can't read it on this screen, but they, um, they give the type of commentary, whether it's devotional, whether it's ex- expositional, whether it's pastoral. And um, then they list the commentaries here. And it's just really helpful because no one here needs to go out and buy 50 commentaries on every book of the Bible. And, and if you can, praise God. I'd love some more commentaries. <laughs> um, but so it, with commentaries, it's really helpful to um, target and focus what, what you're getting. For our community group leaders, I usually pick one commentary on each passage we're going to, and, and so they have at least one resource for that. Um, you can read through some of the other suggestions. Um, man, there's, a, there's just a lot of good ones out there. We're not going to read it, but I gave an example from the Holman Commentary Series, which is a fairly new commentary series that I've been enjoying. And then the Preaching the Word Commentary Series, which is written by R. Kent Hughes or edited by him. Many of them were written by him, a pastor, so that's more pastoral. Um, okay, we'll move on to F because we are down to four minutes. Bible Background Commentaries. And I give one example there in an excerpt. This gives information on the customs of the time. You see pictures of two-edged sword and how those were used. G, Bible introductions and book overviews. These are general, biblical, and historical background to each book of the Bible. Very helpful for seeing the context, context, context. Um, A couple of ones that we use and recommend there. H, atlases. And I list two good atlases. Those that are going to Israel, you will be wanting to purchase the new Moody Atlas of the Bible. Our curriculum for training before you go uses that extensively and has you read things out of that. It will be incredibly valuable to understanding the land and what we're doing there. Finally, Bible software, which is huge. Um, Don, if you could bring up Biblia.com. 
This is Biblia.com, which is the same company as Logos.com and Verso.com. Verso is their competition to Kindle. Um, this is one of the premier Bible study softwares, the, the Logos.com. But Logos can be a little expensive. It can be hard to get into. Um, I encourage you to maybe go to Biblia. And if you, if you make a Logos account with Biblia, you can get somewhere around 70 to 80 free books just by logging in. Free is a really affordable price. And for instance, here in the middle column, you see English Standard Version is, is one of the, the versions. And I'm sorry we didn't get the computer working, but, and what you do is you'd pull this down and you can see a whole number of versions there that you can, um, a little bit higher, one higher. There, yeah. And you see there's, there are a whole number of versions that you can compare. There's the New Living, the ESV, New King James, I think that is, Holman um, Bible, the, King, the older King James. And if you go down here, you'll see some other versions. And this is just what comes with um, Biblia.com or the first logs. And in fact, I'm, we're not even signed in. When you sign in, you get a whole number of other free resources. What's nice about this is then you get on their list, you can get a free book every month. Usually it's a book by like Spurgeon or Piper or something like that. And they offer a free book every month that you can get that just adds automatically to your library. And then if you ever do purchase Logos, all of those free books are credited to you um, against your purchase price. So just a little bit of practical things. This is a great way to get into Logos. Um, I've actually started an account for Mark. Um, he, he, he doesn't use it yet, but I'm getting the free books and getting resources. Mark wants to be a pastor, and I don't know if that's where God's going to lead him, but if I can do this, and then when, when he goes to college, say here, or high school, and say, here's a gift, and um, this would be an inexpensive way to do that. Um, so that's Biblia.com. Over here, you can get some information. Some of these are commentaries. Some of them are Bible dictionaries. In the, I was going to show you the actual Logos software. You can hover over words and see what they mean and get dictionary entries. Wonderful software. Um, a couple of online Bible softwares that are, are really helpful. BibleGateway.com, which if we can put it up, BibleGateway.com or the Unbound Bible, unbound.biola.edu. I think Bible Gateway is a little easier to use. You can put in a passage, put in the version, and bring it up. Once it's up, you can actually put in a couple of versions and get parallel. You can do what we did at the beginning and see several versions. Under additional resources over on the left, and I won't have you go there, Don, but on the left, under additional resources, they have a couple of commentaries. Um, it's a couple of general commentaries. This either has Matthew Henry's or another complete commentary. But what I like about recommending it is it's free. Again, it's a free commentary and a free resource that you can use. Um, Unbound is a popular one. Blueletterbible.org is one that's really popular right now. I haven't used that much. Um, Glowbible.com is actually, you download it and install it on your computer. And what they've done is that they're, they're trying to make a multimedia Bible. So the translation comes up and then pictures about that site or videos about that site come up. And so um, we don't have it installed on that computer but that's an option. Um, a lot of these, they're a little quirky. You just got to get in and play with them. Um, Bible Gateway is used by a lot of people I know. Um, 
And so, but Biblia.com, I think, accomplishes a lot of the same options. Finally, under apps, there's three different or four different apps. I mentioned that there's lots of apps. These are the ones that I have on my iPhone that um, I use and that I hear people using. Logos, again, has an app. And if you put in their app, all of those same books that you have on Biblia are available on your phone or your iPad or your, your mobile device. Um, version is one that I hear a lot of people using right now. You can make custom Bible reading plans. You can um, make notes right on there. In fact, someone was talking about trying to put our sermon notes into version because then they would tie into the passage and people could just sit there and on their iPads go through the sermon notes and the passage um, right as you go. Olive Tree Bible Study is another one. Edgar was showing me that yesterday, and I, I've used it just for the Bible portion, but he was showing how you can tie it to Evernote and do some great things. Okay. Awesome. I hope what you're getting is it's a new world for Bible study. And the tools that you have on your PC, Mac PC, on your mobile device, that you can get for free are amazing. Amazing. Uh, and, and gone are the days of having to spend $5,000 to get a commentary series or, whatever, or get enough resources. They're at your fingertips. The ESV Bible is another app that I use. It's just the ESV Bible and the study Bible notes. But it's really easy. All of them let you listen to the Bible. That one's just really, the interface is one of the easier ones. So sometimes I use that. Blue Letter Bible has an app too. Yes, Matt uses the Blue Letter Bible. Um, And what? It does different versions. Okay. So a lot of these do the same, and that's why I put them all there. Um, What I found is you, I would encourage you to try several of them and find the interface that works for you. Um, Logos, for instance, is actually a fairly difficult interface, but once you get to know it, it it's, it's helpful. And, and what helps is I've used it for 10 years now, and so you, you get to know it. Um, there's the Blue Letter Bible. Blue Letter Bible also has on the left um, a commentary series, and they have a couple different commentaries than BibleGateway.com and then some of the others. And most of these, you can actually buy some resources I know with Logos, I'm not sure whether some of the others, um, whether Olive, Olive Tree you can. Um, so if you're, if you're really wanting to study a book of the Bible, sometimes I'll go to Best Commentaries, find the one I want, and then go to my Logos and add it to my system. And um, it just links everything together. If you're looking at a cross-reference, most, almost all of these, you just hover over it, and, and boom, the cross-reference comes up. Um, in fact, we do that on our website. We use the ESV app. And you hover over any verse, and the ESV version comes up and pops up. It's easier than ever to study God's Word. So I, I end with the question I started with, why don't we? And I, I don't need you to answer that this time, but why don't we? Um, hopefully this was a fun overview of a number of resources. Um, I wanted to bring them all in, but I thought with this many people, it's just really hard to hold up a book and have you see it. So um, instead, we put some excerpts in. But I challenge you, make it your objective to study God's Word this year. It is alive and powerful, discerns the heart, and it's life-changing. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, we thank you for your Word, the gift of your Word. May we not neglect it. 
May we not relegate it to the national anthem that we do once and forget about, but make it part of our lives. Lord, I pray that we would be a body that is studying your word, enjoying your word, and digging into your word and knowing it, Lord God, so we can know you, so we can become the people that you desire us to be, that you can transform us into holiness, into your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.